Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, greatest Christmas movie of all time. How many of you guys have enriched your life, made your life better uh, this Christmas season? You've seen Home Alone 1, raise your hand. All right, how many of you guys have gone ahead and made it to Home Alone 2? Your life is better because of Home Alone 2. Anybody try to ruin their life with Home Alone 3? Anybody? That thing's awful, right? Um, if you have not gotten into Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2, uh, you've got a few days left. I think the 12 days of Christmas are all about how many times you should watch Home Alone 12 and Home Alone 2 12 times. So you got a little work between now and Christmas if you have not watched your, your annual 12 doses of Home Alone. And uh, we've got some work to do today. Here's what I want to ask you to do. Uh, we're going to read the text today uh, before we dig into it. So would you just stand in honor of God's Word? Uh, I'm going to read Luke chapter 19 uh, for us. And let me just read it over us. He, being Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. And since he is also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save Lost. May God bless the reading of his word. You guys can take a seat. We're going to dig in. Uh, I, I believe that many of us this, this morning have heard the story of Zacchaeus. Maybe we've learned it in our, in our younger days because I think you know, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man. All right, that was not, let's try that again. That was horrible. All right, Zacchaeus was a yeah, and a wee little man was he, right? So he was a short little Irish guy. And um, that's what we know about Zacchaeus. But, but I want to get you guys kind of caught up in the story and the plot and what's happening here in Luke 19. A couple of chapters earlier in Luke 17, Jesus begins this pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover, right? And so uh, Jesus, if you're saying about a map, Jesus is starting, really, if this is Jerusalem, Jesus starts north of Jerusalem, and then he takes this kind of roundabout way down through Jericho, down into Jerusalem. So there's a couple of chapters of just kind of this passage, this, this, this journey of Jesus as he's walking, and I just imagine as Jesus is walking, the crowds are growing, there's a bunch of different miracles that happen in these two or three chapters, there's a lot of parables that Jesus teach, and so it's really just this, this Jesus journey to Jerusalem, and as he's walking, it's picking up steam, and then we get to chapter 19, he comes and he, it says he entered into Jericho, he comes walking in to Jericho, and I want you guys to get a picture of Jericho, and uh, if, you're, if you grew up with VeggieTales, or you got kids that were VeggieTales, VeggieTales taught us that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho, right? Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. I'm not going to sing for you. But what we learned from VeggieTales is that Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and Joshua likes uh, swing music. Those are the two things VeggieTales taught us. And uh, we're actually going to dig into the book of Joshua in 2016, the beginning of next year. But, but you got to think about it. Joshua is this town uh, that in the Old Testament was sacked. The walls were destroyed. They built the town back up. When we get to the New, the New Testament, 
Um, Herod has moved in, and Jericho, the Herodian Jericho, is his winter palace. It's a tropical environment. It's sunny and balmy. If you imagine this, 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 this Herod, he's, he's moved in, he's built city parks, and, and the streets are immaculate. It's just an amazing, amazing town. And not only is it just this really beautiful town that there's a palace in, um, but it's also the, like the crossroads for commerce, right? And so if you, if you move in, go into Jericho, and you begin to think about this town, it, the main road from like Egypt all the way up to uh, Europe is one main road, and the other main road goes from the Mediterranean Sea into all of Asia. So Jericho was literally the crossroads of commerce for the Mediterranean Sea, Asia, Egypt, in what, what is now Eastern Europe, right? So this city is, is it's an awesome city. It's like top 10 places to live. And so Jesus and the crowd of people, it says he entered Jericho and was passing through. Verse 2, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. So here, very quickly, we, we get introduced to Zacchaeus, and what we find out is, first of all, he, he's, his name tells us he's of Jewish descent. He is, he is a Hebrew, he has a great religious pedigree. The second thing we find out about Zacchaeus very quickly is that he's a chief tax collector. And not only is he a chief tax collector, but he is a chief tax collector in the best marketplace for tax collectors. So as a chief tax collector, Zacchaeus had a team of tax collectors that worked for them, and they worked in this, this commerce, this toll road, this intersection of commerce, and so he had a really, really, really good job. Like he was kind of like, he, he had like, he was the, the, the best position he could get in the best marketplace. It's like saying, um, you know, I'm one of the greatest actors in L.A. That's pretty awesome. Or, I, or this guy was one of the greatest financial minds on Wall Street. Or this guy was a professor at a pre prestigious university in Athens called Georgia. He had the best job at the top of the marketplace. Y'all laugh. I'm, I'm trying to give you real life examples, right? And so he had the best job in the best marketplace. He had authority. He had money. He had staff. He was the top of his marketplace. He had reached. There was no more rungs on the ladder. He was at the top of the ladder. He was wealthy. All right, the word here for rich, it translates to rich. All right, it's a really easy word to translate. Dude had money. So he had a staff, he had authority, he had power, he had prestige, he had religious pedigree, he had all of these things. Verse 3, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. So Zacchaeus had everything culture, our world would say, money, power, reputation. He had, he had everything going for him, and yet he was still longing for something. Now, it's really easy to preach the gospel in the darkest of places. Like if your marriage is falling apart or if you just lost your job or if you lost a loved one recently or, or if you're struggling with addictions or you just go into like the, the most broken parts of your world and it's really easy to go into those broken parts and herald the gospel because in reality, the gospel or the good news that Jesus loves you no matter what actually fits best. It's actually brightest in the darkest spot. But what I love here about this story is when you look at it, everything looks like Zacchaeus has it going on. And here's the truth of the gospel. We all need a Savior. And Zacchaeus had everything going. He, had everything going. he was wealthy. He had a great staff. I'm sure he had a great family. I mean, he just, everything was great according to the world's standards. And yet, at the end of the day, he was still longing 
Not for a sign and not for a trick and not to just see Jesus heal somebody. But it says Zacchaeus was longing to see who Jesus was. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in, in stature. Zacchaeus had this moderate, he had this obstacle, and this obstacle was as he was short, he couldn't see Jesus, right? Now, that's not really a modern day obstacle. Like for people in, in today's society, um, height doesn't really restrict you from seeing Jesus, right? When you came in the doors, there were no like must be 37 inches tall to, to come ride the Jesus ride, right? No, we're a movement for all people, like short people, tall people, skinny people. Like I got in by the chunky people. Like we just, we're a movement for like all people. You just, everybody is welcome. But I, this week I was asking around with some, hey, what are some modern day obstacles? What are some things that get in the way of people in our society um, coming to church, meeting Jesus? And I, I got a little top 10 list, a little David Letterman style. It won't be as funny um, because I'm not David Letterman, but it's true. And so let's look at these 10 reasons today that people don't come to church. Number 10, too busy, right? You, hey, I'm just too busy to do church. That, that's, a, that's one. Number nine, I don't know what to wear, to which I would start with clothes. Like that's just a, that's a great first step. I don't, but you know, I don't know what to wear. Do I have to wear a suit? To, what do I wear? I don't know. Um, church people are weird. That's true. Like, uh, let's just be honest, right? And if you're like, uh, who's he talking about? Probably you, right? And so church people are weird. Or this, I remember it being really boring growing up, right? We won't do a show of hands, but some of us grew up in churches that are just really boring growing up. Uh, number six reason today people don't come to church. Kids, hashtag the struggle is real, right? If, you, if I could just get my kids up and in like clean clothes, and we ain't even washing their hair. If we just put up in a ponytail and just shovel, right? Kids, the struggle's real. Number five, it's my only day to sleep in. To which I would say, great, we invented the 130 service for anybody who needs to sleep in, right? People are all the time showing up at 1230. We're like, hey, great, you are here. You're actually early for the 130 service. Good job, right? Um, our, our church name is 1122. So this, starts, this service starts at, see, it makes sense, right? Um, number, <laughs> number four, I think it would, this is my favorite one. It would burn down if I went in, Right? You got some people that are your friends that are like, they told you, I would come to church, but the whole thing would burn down. Some of you, some of you in here right now are going, I don't know how the walls are on fire right now. Like, it would burn down. Uh, number three reason, geography. Like, there, I just have to drive so far to get to a good church, right? Now, can I just tell you, we're going to go ahead, we're going to go right at this one. The Church 1122 is going right at the geography obstacle. Um, we're convicted that geography should not be a limiting factor to people meeting Jesus. Now, here's, here's what I know. I've done the, the research. We're, we're actually launching the Church of 1122 at Bay Meadows on January 10th. We are launching. We're going multi-site. You should be excited. Um, if you're not, by the time I'm done preaching today, you'll be like, woohoo, doing cartwheels, right? And so we're, we're, we're going to launch the Church of 1122 at Bay Meadows. And what we found out was that every weekend, about 2,000 people come up 295 past our Bay Meadows location to get here, Right? Now, some of you guys are crazy. Some of y'all come from Georgia. Some of y'all come from Uly. Some of y'all come from Fruit Cove and, and Nocatee and St. Augustine and like all the way down and, and all the way to Middleburg. I mean, like you got to get a passport to get there. But you guys are like, hey, I'm coming to the beach to go to church. It's awesome. The problem is that your neighbor is not going to drive all the way to the beach to go to church. You're, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, you want to go to church with me? Where do you go to church? Out at the beach. I'm not driving all the way to the beach, right? And beach people, before you get all offended, you're upset you had to drive across the ditch this morning to get here. So you could just, hey, welcome to the rest of the world, calm down, right? But we all have, we have neighbors who are like, I just don't know if I can go that far. And so that's why we are going 
multi-site. Now, as we go multi-site to, to get rid of the obstacle of geography, there's a lot of questions that pop up. Like, you know, Ryan, are, are you still going to be a part of 1122? It is 1122, so yes, and all kind of different questions. And so we thought, as we're talking about going multi-site, our creative team put this great little video together that's just um, kind of like an FAQ information for like, what does it mean for 1122 to be multi-site? So as we talk about removing the obstacle of multi-site, would you guys just turn your attention to the screen and watch this quick video. At the Church of 1122, we exist as a multi-site church. What does that mean? It simply means that we are one church in multiple locations. Each location shares the same teaching, the same vision, the same ministries, and the same leadership. We are a movement for all people to discover and deepen a relationship with Jesus Christ. And to do that more effectively, we are choosing to be missional and move into your neighborhood. The multi-site model is simple. We have one leadership team and staff that provide resources to all locations. Each location will have a location pastor that is dedicated to serving that specific neighborhood. Everything that you are familiar with at the Church of 1122 will be available at every location. From new gen kids to worship to disciple groups, each location will truly be the experience you know and love. The only difference is that teaching from Pastor Joby will be broadcast via video. What does this mean for you? Our prayer is that as this movement expands and new locations are launched, you'll find a location that you can call home. We want to provide a place where you can deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ, a place where you can serve, and a place where you can invite your friends, family, and neighbors to discover Jesus for the very first time. Multiple locations allows us to reach people we couldn't have reached before by bringing the church to them. In 2015, we began the multi-site journey by purchasing a facility in the Bay Meadows area. But the journey is just beginning, and we want you to be a part of it here at the Church of 1122. Yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. Like, it's going to be, yeah, the exact same church at Bay Meadows, just like really two differences. One, it's closer to you, right, which gives you more time back in your Sundays, and, the, you know, the sermon's going to be delivered on video. But let's be honest, most of you are actually watching me on video right now, and hey, I'm in the room, right? And so it's going to be an amazing, we're going to get rid of the obstacle of geography. All right, number two reason, it gets a little more serious here. The number two modern day obstacle is this. People tell me, hey, I've been hurt by the church. Like, I grew up in church, and, and something at the church, they did something to me, and, or, or they, they said something, or, or my family got ostracized, or I, I remember I was a kid, and my mom and dad got divorced, and then we weren't allowed to come back. Look, I've heard it over and over again, and on behalf of the church, as a pastor of the church of Jesus Christ, I just want to tell you, um, I apologize. Whatever church hurt you, we, we apologize on behalf of the church. I hear it all the time. Man, I my family used to go to church, but we got hurt. Number one reason people don't come to church, that the number one modern day obstacle is this. Let me blow your mind. I wasn't invited. You thought about that? Hey, why don't you come to church? Nobody's ever invited me to church. Like we got neighbors and coworkers and people we love and all around us, and, and what they're waiting for to come to church is an invitation. So Zacchaeus had this obstacle in front of him. And Zacchaeus was not invited to come to meet Jesus. Zacchaeus was actually not even really like welcomed in once he showed up by himself. Verse, verse 4, so here's what happened. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. Just imagine, this grown man, right? 
This this is the most undignified thing in the world. A grown man just takes off running, and a grown man in his, like, you know, dress and garb begins to climb a tree. Just undignified in his determination to get to Jesus, despite the biggest obstacle. You know what the biggest obstacle is? Verse verse 3 says it this way. He was seeking who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not. Remember that large crowd that had been following Jesus, this religious crowd that was on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, these people who, who had heard about the Messiah was coming and they were crowding around Jesus. The reason that Zacchaeus could not see, could not get to Jesus, was not his height. It was the fact that the religious crowd had created a wedge between Zacchaeus and Jesus. They were just in the way. The church has to be in the business of knocking down obstacles. Any obstacle that would get in the way of people meeting Jesus. The church needs to be known, not as the crowd that got in the way of me meeting Jesus, not the crowd that hurt me, not the crowd that kind of got in between me and Jesus, but the church should be known as, hey, that church does anything and everything they can to get rid of every obstacle so people can meet Jesus. That's the kind of church we want to be. We say we're a movement for all people. Now, that just means this. All, meaning everybody, people, meaning people. We want to be a movement for everybody. We want to be a place where anybody, everybody can come in and meet Jesus. It's why we, it's why we just kind of do church. We try to do church with as much as authenticity as we can. And we started a service in 2008 that became this church. Really, our goal was just to do church. We just, a group of us said, let's just do church the way that we would want to do church. And if God blesses it and God grows it, then great. If not, we'll move on to what God's doing. And we just, we sing songs we like. We preach sermon. We preached out of, out of, out of the Bible, which is what we like to do. We, we just built church, right? It's why we say, look, hey, you know, what do I wear to church? Well, we're authentic. So just kind of wear what you would normally wear. You can almost wear anything and come to church. Just wear something, right? We're, we're just, like, hey, people, are, we've got one deacon I love. We've got a deacon that one week will show up in like baggies and a rash guard, Right? And then the next week, it will show up in like a sports coat and dockers. And if you're younger than 28, dockers are a foreign word for khakis, right? And so he'll just show up when one week looking like he's about to go surfing, and the next week and look like he wants to sell me insurance, right? And I, I love it because it's a picture of, hey, you're welcome. Anywhere between baggies and a, and a sports coat, you're welcome, right? It's also why we have services all over the map, Thursday night and 1.30 and 9 o'clock and 5.22. We've got services all over the map so that whether, if you can't get your kids up and get them to 9 o'clock, you've got three more options before the day's over. Like, we want to make it super accessible. Like, we want to make Nugen so much fun that our kids, our kids go, I want to go to church. And so, like, we want our kids dragging us old people and us, us, us adults dragging us to church because kids is so awesome, all right, another thing we're going to be doing, that we do a lot around here to help remove the obstacle, is if the number one obstacle for people coming to church is an invitation, we want to make it easy to invite people to church. Now, here's what church people do, right? Church people get invitations and information confused. Let me give you an example. Information. The church people are notorious about this. Hey, Ryan, you, we love you. You're awesome. Your family's awesome. We should eat dinner sometime. Okay, that's not an invitation. That's information. You know what they told me? They like me. They think I like them. They eat food. I eat food. Sometimes we should eat food together. It's just all information. An invitation is, hey, what if next Tuesday night uh, we'll go out to eat dinner. You bring your family. We'll bring our family. At 6.30, we'll meet at this restaurant and we'll eat. 
you see the difference between information and invitation, right? Some of you single dudes just realize why you've never had a date. You're like, hey, we should get coffee sometime. Okay. You know, like, all right? So an invitation is different. It's when you actually invite somebody to something specific. I love my neighbors. My neighborhood's awesome. We have this community mailbox, right? which is like the greatest invention ever. It's like right in the middle of the neighborhood and everybody has to come get their mail from the community mailbox, which is awesome for me because it means every single day I'm just waiting by the mailbox going, you got to talk to me again, I'm here. (laughs) Either you talk to me while you get your mail or it's really weird for everybody if you're like, just get the mail and get out of here. The pastor's trying to talk to us again, right? I love the community mailbox, but I I go up the other day and and these invitations for Christmas Eve service, one of my neighbors just kind of thumbtacked it to the community board, right? It's great information. The information is, hey, 1122 is having a Christmas Eve service, you know, like almost every church in the entire world. And so this is great. It's great information. But you know what an invitation looks like? Baking a batch of chocolate chip cookies, America's cookie, and baking a batch of chocolate chips cookie, bringing half of the batch to my house for me to consume, taking the other half with an invitation to your neighbor and say, hey, I baked you some cookies. Would you like to join me at the 2.30 Christmas Eve service? See, that's called an invitation as opposed to information. Something else with with Bay Meadows that you can invite people to. On January 9th, the day before we launch, we're going to have an open house for kids. For all of our kids that are moving over to Bay Meadows, it's an opportunity for them to go in and look at and see their room. Uh, We're going to have jump houses and sticky fingers barbecue, and it's just going to be just a party. And if you you got a neighbor, you're like, hey, I'm going to go to Bay Meadows, and I think my neighbor might, it's a great place to invite them, right? Here's the reason why. It's going to be fun, right? We want to remove the obstacle that church can't be fun. It's going to be fun. Uh, It's going to be a church event where there's no preaching, right? So you can tell your neighbor, hey, look, the The guy won't stand up and talk forever if you come to this event, right? And then hopefully they'll come back the next day and we'll talk forever. But we want to invite people. Hey, you bring your family, right? And then this, let's just be honest. If we're going to be the kind of church that knocks down obstacles, we have to follow the model of Jesus and lead with love. Like we have to step into some people's worlds and just love them. Just model it, just kind of, especially if some people say, I'm not going to church because the church hurt me. Then it's our job as the church, as the body of Christ, to go into the world and be the church and love some people around us to the point that as we love them, that that all the pain is healed by Christ. Like We're going to step in. And so verse 5, here's what Jesus does. He gives a great example for us. Verse 5, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down and come, for I must stay at your house today. I love that word must stay. The Greek means I'm compelled to abide, right? Which I don't ever use that word. I've never even told my wife, like I'm compelled to abide with you. Let's have some coffee, right? But Jesus says, I I must, I'm compelled. I have to come to your house today, Zacchaeus. Here's what Jesus did. He led with love. Really simple this. Number one, he stopped. Like, he's just on his journey. He's just on his pilgrimage. He's not there to do church. He's not there to have, like, a crusade. He's not there on a mission trip. He's just, Jericho has a road. He's on the road in Jericho, right? And as he's walking down this road, he, he stops. And the second thing he does is he looks up and he sees Zacchaeus. Now, you got to know, because Jesus is fully God, that Jesus, when he sees Zacchaeus, he knows, traitor. That's a Jewish man who betrayed his entire people. He now works for, Zacchaeus works for the Roman government. Zacchaeus' job was to tax the Jewish people and give the money to Rome. And what Zacchaeus and what most tax collectors would do is overtax his own brothers and cousins and sisters and family and, and, and nation. He would overtax them, pay Rome, and keep a cut for himself. So when Jesus looked into the tree, he knew that dude's a traitor. 
He has betrayed his people. Also, when Jesus looked into the tree, he stopped when he saw Zacchaeus. He saw Zacchaeus for this, this broken little man who probably for his entire life had insults hurled at him. Like his entire life, he was an Oompa Loompa, right? He was a short little guy. He was a wee little man. We even teach our kids to sing derogatory songs about him today, right? Just think about that. He was a wee little man. And if you like, if your kid walked up to another kid and go, you're a wee one, you'd be like, don't say that about him. But we're, whatever. So Zacchaeus was a wee little man in a tree. He was a broken man. He was a man who betrayed his people. Jesus stopped. Jesus saw this man and then does this. He speaks to him. Like Jesus, does, Jesus speaks to him. He says, Zacchaeus. He calls him by name. He embraces him verbally. He does not go, hey, tax collector. Hey, wretched traitor. Come out of that tree. I got to tell you something. He goes, Zacchaeus, can I come eat with you? So he stopped. He saw him. He spoke. And then Jesus stayed. Like Jesus didn't just meet Zacchaeus and go, man, you got some junk in your life. I just wanted you to know that. See you later. No, he goes and sits at his table. He dines with him, which everybody in the whole religious community was like, Zacchaeus is an unclean man, and you're going into his house? Jesus is like, yeah. I, I love this. This is actually the only place in the gospel where Jesus in, like, forcefully like, invites himself in. Like everywhere else, he's invited in, but in this instant, Jesus just invites himself to the party. Now me, I'm a little different. I invite myself to over to people's house all the time, right? I'll even plan a party at somebody's house, somebody else's house, and invite people to come with me. I have some friends that are like, hey, we love to do low country boils. Information, right? That, good, you, I got that information. I formed an invitation for myself and like 15 other people. So we show up at their house and go, hey, low country boil it, right? But Jesus, that's not his style. That's my style. I like to invite myself over. Jesus doesn't. But in this instance, he goes, look, Zacchaeus, your life is so messed up. You got so much going on in your world. I'm, I'm inviting myself in. I'm going to stay in the jump. Now, I need to just be honest here. Preaching this sermon, I, I have to preach this sermon from a place of conviction. Like, I have to preach this sermon from a place of, I don't have it all together. Like, there are times when I preach sermons and I'm preaching them from a place of confidence that God has given me victory. He's given me anointing and success. And sometimes I preach them like this when I preach it from a place of conviction. Where I go, you know what? God's wrecked me all week long, and I want to I share God's word with you. God's wrecked me with some questions, and I want to share them with you, almost like a Christmas present. I want to give you a Christmas present, and I'm praying that these three questions wreck your world as much as they've wrecked mine, right? I love you. Merry Christmas. Um, here's the first one. Here's the first question that's personally convicting me. Am I walking so close to the Lord that he can stop me in my tracks to see the people he has placed in my path. Am I walking so closely with Jesus? I'm, my prayer life, my time in the word, my time in worship, that as I'm walking in life, can he stop me in my tracks to show me the people he's put in my path? This question wrecked me. I, I got a new neighbor. I live this way towards the Beach Boulevard Bridge and. Uh, we had a, a young man that moved into the, into the neighborhood. He's literally a homeless guy that moved underneath. Uh, his home is the bridge. He lives underneath the bridge now. And I kept driving by him every morning on the way to work. And I just think, I, I really should go meet this guy. Like, I'm a Christian. And I'm a pastor. So I really have to do this. And, and, and every morning I was like, I, I just can't. I have to get to church. I don't have time to be the church. I have to, be, I have to get to work. Right? Just rationalizing all these I'm just thinking, I could walk down here in two minutes, but just over and over again thinking about it. Well, a, a friend of mine comes and picks me up, and as we're driving out of the neighborhood, he goes, hey, Ryan, have you met Zach? I'm like, who's Zach? And my buddy's like, well, technically, he's like your new neighbor, like he lives right there. I'm like, oh, 
That's interesting. So this dude who doesn't even live in my neighborhood knows the story of this homeless guy who is my neighbor now, and I have not taken the time for the Lord to stop me in my tracks to see the people he's putting put in my way. Convicting. So Thursday, I'm over at Carabo's over at Bay Meadows, because at least once or twice a day, I eat lunch. And so um, I, I was heading over to, y'all don't do that. So I was heading over to Carabo's, and uh, I love to just go eat over by Bay Meadows. I want to be everybody's best friend. And so I'm eating, and, and I'm talking to the hostess. Her name's Emily, and, and I, I'm, I'm like writing this sermon, so I'm really convicted that I should start inviting people to church and not just informing them about church. And so I say, well, Emily, do you go to church anywhere? She's like, well, no, I, I don't. I haven't been in like six years. I said, well, Tell me more. What's going on? She's like, well, I, I just stopped going, and then I realized I don't go to church anymore, right? Like, it just, it just happened, like, six years ago. She goes, but I think they're building a church in the sneakers, like, two doors down. I'm like, huh, tell me, what about, tell me more about it. She goes, yeah, I think they're building a church, and I think they're coming, and, and I was like, man, you really should check it out. The pastor over there is really handsome. Like, he's, <laughs> he's really a good dude. He's humble, too, right? And I just leaned in. I said, you know what? Hey, Emily, I'm actually, that's part of why I'm here. My name's Ryan. I'm the pastor over there on January 10th. Would you please join us? She goes, what, what time are your services? It's like 9 and 11, 22. She goes, great. 11, 22 sounds great. I can't get up at 9. I said, awesome, right? We're a movement for all people. If 9 o'clock's too early in the morning, you're our type of people, right? And so I just, I'm sitting there, and here's the deal. I had gone to Carabas to meet the manager, and the Lord in that moment just convicted me and said, Ryan, do not miss people for projects. Like, I had a project. I had a goal. I was going to go meet the manager. I'm going to be your neighbor. Let's, let's work out some deals for you to do buffets because I, I like food, right? And as I'm there, the Lord just convicted me and said, don't miss Emily. Don't miss Emily. She's right there. And I'm wrestling. I'm wrestling with this, and I'm hoping you will too. That Am I walking close enough to the Lord that he says, stop, look, that person, it, I put you here for that person. The second question is this, is how willing am I? How willing am I to lovingly, Look into the face of someone with a drastically different worldview than my own. All right? You don't have to go very far in our society to find somebody whose worldview is drastically different than yours. Right? Just log on to Facebook and you can find plenty of idiots there. I mean, plenty of other people. I'm just kidding. And, and so when you look at, at, at the rabbi and the traitor, Jesus, the rabbi, chose to sit down at the table with the traitor and look him in the face. So here's the trap, or here's the problem, and I just did it right there in my own trying to be funny. We, we live in a world where we just want to poke fun at the other group. Like, we live in a world where we get on Facebook and someone with a different worldview, we would rather look at Facebook than look someone in the face and begin to go, tell me more about this worldview. Like, if we would just take the time to sit down, just like Jesus did, and love people and sit with them and look into their eyes and go, tell me about your story growing up. Tell me about your life. Tell me about why you experience this. Why do you view the world this way? It would actually give us the opportunity to talk about our worldview. It would actually give us the opportunity to go, well, man, my worldview changed when I met Jesus. But instead, we choose, I do, so often to just try to prove I'm right and you're wrong. And instead of lovingly looking into the face of someone with a different worldview, I'd rather just look into Facebook and social media. I'd rather just look into blogs and just go, I'm right. I'm just, my convictions. I hope the Lord will wreck you this week with these. Third thing is this, is where am I compelled to step into someone's life and junk and stay there? We're compelled. Like Jesus sees Zacchaeus. He knows the whole deal. Jesus knows this dude is jacked up. He's, he's stealing from his own family to make himself rich. And Jesus goes, can I just come and I'm compelled to not only step into your life, but could I just stay there? Here's the truth. The crowd is always more comfortable 
always. It's more comfortable to stay in the crowd instead of getting in somebody's mess. But the truth is, is that the gospel came and the gospel needs to be heralded in the mess. It's why, it's why this place is messy, messy, messy. We're a movement for all people, meaning every time we open the doors, we're like, hey, if you're broken, if you're messy, come on in. You actually will fit here better than you'll fit anywhere else. Like, we are the island of misfit toys. Like, that's who we are, and that's who we should be. And I, I'm just warning, this is me. I, I like things structured. I like systematic, right? I like everything kind of have a nice flow, step one, step two, step three. But when, when Jesus starts changing people's life, chain lead, change always leads to pain, and pain is always, always messy. And so if we're going to be a church that's going to reach people and herald the gospel and say, come on in, no matter how broken you are, come to the cross, come meet Jesus, then we have got to get really, really comfortable with living and staying in people's mess and just be okay with it and just be honest about it here's why this is important from day one pastor joby has prayed seven prayers for our church and one of them is this pastor joby prays we and our staff our, our, our pastors our elders we're praying this that our church would know the urgency of eternity that when jesus was just on his way to jerusalem he looked into the tree and saw zacchaeus and the urgency of the of eternity weighed on jesus's heart here's what the urgency of eternity means it means that eternity is real and that every single day people die. And then there are people who every single day when they die, they die without a knowledge, without a relationship, without being saved by the work of Christ on the cross. And if eternity is real, and if people die without the atonement of Christ, it means they're self-atoning and they're paying an eternal punishment. The weight of eternity has to weigh on our souls. Like, like when you go get your coffee... I, we are praying that as you're getting your coffee from your barista, the, the weight, the urgency of eternity is so heavy on your soul that all you can do is lean across and go, thank you for my coffee, but can I talk to you about something more important? Like your neighbors and your coworkers, that, that you're going to sit down with your family at Christmas dinner, and I'm praying, I'm begging the Lord that when you go to bite into that ham and that mac and cheese, praise Jesus, I'm praying that your soul, that your, that your heart feels so heavy for your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister or your cousin or whoever's sitting across from you that you know they don't know the love of Jesus. That we would have this urgency, this, this, this concept of eternity that is so real and it is so urgent that we would be the people who just said, I don't care how many cool points I lose. i got to talk to you about something. i got to tell you about the person who changed my life forever. And then what if? Verse 6. So he hurried and he came down. And he received him joyfully. Like, don't miss that verse. The traitor, all right, the, 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 the guy who had everything the, everything the world could tell him, but he had to betray his own people to get it. He comes down out of the tree and receives Jesus with joy. Like, surrenders his life to Jesus with joy. And I just think, like, what if, what if the person that you invited to meet Jesus, what if they met Jesus? Like, what if Jesus, who, who saved you, had enough of his ability, his power, his omniscience to save the person you've been praying for? I, I think sometimes as the church, as believers, I think we just allow our hearts to get a little bit hardened. Like, I think we pray sometimes like doubting that God can. God, would you save my, like, my mother, my father, my brother, my sister? Will you save so-and-so? You begin to pray for them by name. And as you pray for them, you God, would you save? But I don't really think you will. God, could you save? I don't really know if you can. And we begin to pray for the people that God's put in our life almost as if we were just doing it because he told us to and he ain't going to do a thing to change it. 
What if the, the Zacchaeus in your world, what if you prayed? What if you invited two people to Christmas Eve service and one of them came and what if that one person that came to Christmas Eve service met Jesus? It would change everything. Everything. That Zacchaeus meets Jesus. It changes everything. Verse 7. And when they saw it, the crowd, when the crowd saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner? The Savior, the Messiah, chose to sit at a table with a traitor. Here's the truth. Let me just read this to you. The Christian that is willing to neglect the lost for the sake of more personal attention or comfort has missed the entire message of the gospel. The, the Christian or the church who thinks our salvation is about us getting more attention, us getting more comfort, us turning the, the, the view of the church inward to take care of our own feelings and our own desires and our own wants and our own, we've missed the entire message of the gospel. The gospel message is this. We were all born sinners. All of us were born as sinners and we missed the mark of God. And because of sin, we've all earned the wage of death that we are all born dead spiritually dead and Jesus dies on a cross and starts robbing us out of the graves the message of the gospel is that dead people don't stand up and make themselves alive Jesus makes people alive then the message of the gospel is that the gospel is for all people and so when you go from dead to life the gospel doesn't change the gospel is still about going and robbing graves and yet somewhere in our own kind of just uh, insecurities and need for comfort we go well the gospel goes from I was dead and now I'm alive and now the church is here to serve me the church was never built to serve man. The church was built to serve Jesus and declare the glory of God to the world. The church is plan A for God's salvation for the world. And the church that decides, the church that says it's about us to look internally is the church that's on its way to dying. We are going to be a church that says it is about the proclamation of the gospel. That when we see a traitor come out of a tree to meet the one who was going to the tree for the traitor, we don't go grumbling. We go, hallelujah, he saved another one. Hallelujah, all things are possible with him. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord. I love it. Like the crowd's grumbling and Luke just notes that Zacchaeus goes, Jesus, I'm going to talk to you because those people are crazy. He just leans in and this is what Zacchaeus says. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Here's what Zacchaeus says. Everything I own, I'm going to give half of it away right now. And if I have done any wrong to anybody, whether voluntary or involuntary, no matter what, if I've done wrong to anybody, I'm going to pay them back fourfold which was the harshest penalty of the entire Old Testament, to, to pay back 400%. This, the self-imposed retribution is actually a picture of the fruit of Zacchaeus' salvation. In no ways is it a condition for it. That when Zacchaeus came out of the tree and received Jesus, at that moment, his eternity was changed. And what happens here, he's not giving and becoming generous to earn his salvation or to earn God's favor. Zacchaeus is actually being generous in giving because he already has all of God's favor. You see, what Zacchaeus realizes is what Christ is doing for me by bringing me its salvation is immeasurable. So the least I can do is begin to proclaim to the world around me because of what Christ did for me, I do for you. Because of what Christ did for me, I do for you. Verse 9, and Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. 
Like, I just get this picture of, like, so Zacchaeus and Jesus, and they're hanging out maybe on the front porch. And Zacchaeus says, Jesus, I'm going to do all this because you love me. I'm just going to respond to you. And I can just see Jesus kind of pretending like he's talking to Zacchaeus, but doing one of those, like, hey, we're having a conversation. Hey, everybody else, listen up. One of those type things, you know? And so I can just see him going, hey, Zacchaeus, salvation has come to this house. And then I can just see Jesus going, y'all see that? Y'all said the dude that couldn't get saved, I just saved him. I'm kind of a big deal. Y'all think things aren't possible with God. I just did it. I just saved the traitor, right? All things are possible with him. Okay, Zacchaeus. I can just see him leaning out and just giving this shout out to the whole crowd, going, all things are possible. Today, salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Jesus was just reminding the crowd, don't forget, Zacchaeus is, is a Jewish man. But what Jesus is saying is not Zacchaeus got saved because he was a Jew, because he had a religious pedigree or inherited it. Jesus is saying Zacchaeus got saved because just like Abraham, Zacchaeus stepped out in faith to believe. Ephesians 2, chapter 10 says we are saved by grace through faith, that it's not our own doing. In other words, there's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. You see, salvation is not a thing to be inherited It's not a thing to be gained through proximity. It's not a thing to be gained through pedigree. In other words, you can't be good enough. You can't inherit salvation because your grandma was a Christian, right? You don't inherit Christianity. You don't inherit salvation. You don't gain salvation by being religious or good enough or by attending enough services or, or being perfect in your Sunday school attendance growing up. The only way that we gain salvation is when we surrender to the author of salvation. Salvation is only found when we go, you know, I admit I'm a sinner. I confess it. I admit that even, maybe even like Zacchaeus, it looks like I have everything together in the whole entire world. But at the end of the day, I'm still longing for something. Verse 10. For, for the Son of Man let, came and to seek and to save the lost. So like 1 through 9 is this incredible narrative, this incredible story. And in verse 10, Luke just kind of summarizes it. Hey, verse hey, 1 through 9, great story. In summary, this is why Jesus came. Jesus left heaven. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about Philippians 2, that Jesus is fully God, and yet he chose to take on flesh. And why did he come? To seek and to save the lost. You talk about the greatest mission statement ever, you think it's clear? Jesus, what, what, what's your ministry about? Seek and save the lost. Well, what else do you do? Seek and save the lost. Well, do you, are you going to start a school? Seek and save the lost. All right? Here, here's what Jesus did not come to do. Jesus did not come to prove the Pharisees were wrong. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus could have very rarely come and said, look, I'm, I am the son of God. I am the, the, the most high rabbi ever. Pharisees, here's the 12 things you're wrong about. My dad told me this early in ministry. My dad said, um, you got two choices in, in ministry, Ryan. You can make disciples or you can prove to everybody you're right. It's like he knows me or something, right? And so he's like, you got these two options. And as he encouraged me, what he was telling me is this. is Ryan, your, your entire ministry can be about loving people and pointing them to Jesus and helping them to become more like Jesus. Or pointing out everywhere, everywhere they're not like Jesus. Everywhere they're wrong. Jesus' ministry was not to come and point out everywhere we're wrong, but point out where he is right. The second thing Jesus did not come to do was build a powerful nation. I think it's a trap, I think it's a tendency in our society, in our culture, to take the gospel and Americanism and try to shove them together and pretend as if Jesus died on the cross so that we could have a great nation that would prosper the world. Now, I love America. I really, I really love America. But the gospel is way bigger than, than, than power and kingdoms and nations. 
You see, Jesus, every single time that the people around him would begin to go, we're going to make you king, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna lead a, a rebellion, we're going to make you the king, every single time Jesus just kind of slipped out because Jesus didn't come to build a powerful nation. Jesus came simply to set the captives free. And Jesus, he didn't come to create a public platform. Like Jesus did not come to write white papers and, pro- and produce documents and have the most read blog and have great public statements and hashtag new Israel. Jesus did not come to, to, to do all that. Jesus did not come to argue that he was right. Jesus came because he is right and he came to seek and to save the lost. And for three years, here's what Jesus did over and over again. He went and found lost people. Now here's, here's what I know about the word lost. It's offensive, right? Women, you ever been riding with your husband and have to tell him he's lost? It's offensive. Like, it takes a lot of humility to go, you know what, I am lost. Even with GPS today, I'm lost, right? Here's the other thing I know about lost. You're lost, well, you realize that you're lost well after you got lost. You know what I mean? Like, if you're ever driving around and you're like, you know, if I take a ride on this road, I'm going to be lost. Either you're an idiot and you take the ride, or you go, I'm not going to go down that road because I'm going to get lost. Well, the truth about being lost is that you don't have to know you're lost to be lost. You just have to not know the way to be lost. Right? And here's how Jesus explains it. He says, Jesus says, I came to seek and save the lost. Here's what I think Jesus means. John 14, 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Here's what Jesus meant. We were all created to know our creator. We were all created to know God. We were all created in the image of God to know God. And if we don't know Jesus, we don't know the way to know God. And if we don't know the way, we are by definition lost. Jesus did not say, I've come to seek and save the lost to declare you a project or to try to point to you as being wrong or broken. What Jesus did was simply make an observation of our current reality. And Jesus says, if you don't know me, you don't know the Father. If you don't know Jesus, we don't know the Father. And if we don't know the way, we are by definition lost. And that's not even the part that breaks my heart the most is that we would be lost. What gets even worse is that if we don't know the way, then we don't know the truth and we don't know life. That knowing Jesus is the actual, it is the beginning of knowing life to what life was fully created. It's why Zacchaeus had everything the world could offer and yet was still longing to see who Jesus was. Because everything in this world could not answer the question of what was I created for? Why am I here? And and the Bible clearly declares that we were here for the glory of God, to know our creator. So Jesus would just roll around looking for lost people. He would just look for people who did not know him and therefore did not know the Father. And then he would just show them love. Like when, when Jesus finds Zacchaeus, he just goes, hey man, come on down, I want to hang out with you. He doesn't go, hey, you're wretched and you're awful, you're jacked up and you're, you're a worthless traitor. He just shows them love. Like to go and sit and to dine and to break bread and to have a long meal with someone was a declaration that Jesus said, I love you, Zacchaeus. And John 15 13, Jesus says these words, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And what Jesus was declaring in John 15 was that he was going to pay the ultimate price to show us and declare us to us, his creation, his love, the creator, Christ Jesus, would die. So he'd find lost people. He would show them love. And then he, Jesus just walked around inviting people to surrender to his lordship. One of the most popular verses in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Do you know what John three sixteen is? It's the biggest invitation you'll ever get in your life. 
I'm not talking like an Evite where you don't even know where to click to know if you're actually going or not. I'm talking about like an invitation that when you get it out of the mail, it's like, bum, 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 bum. It's like you have been royally invited, right? You, we have been invited to know Christ. God so loved the whole world. Guess what? You're a part of that scope of love, that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes or trusts or put their faith in him wouldn't perish, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't suffer eternal punishment, but would have eternal life. That Jesus just walked around, he'd find lost people. He'd love lost people, ultimately by laying down his own life for those he loved. And then when his arms stretched on a cross, he would invite anyone who believes in him to, to call upon his name and to surrender to his lordship. The point of, the, of this whole message is, is verse 10. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And you and I, we will find ourselves either in line with that mission or in the way of that mission. And those are the only two options. For some of you in the room today, this, this morning, you're in line with a mission, and here's the reality. You just realized today, you know what? I am the Zacchaeus of the story. I got, I got things this world, I've got everything the world could offer, I've got a great life, but I am longing for something. Or maybe, maybe unlike, maybe you're, you got the, the kind of the story of Zacchaeus where he was just kind of this outcast and in this broken relationship with people. Maybe that's where you're at. You're going, I'm just broken, and I need, I need someone to love me, and Jesus loves me. And some of you, you're in line. You are the mission. I'm not saying you're a project. I'm not saying that a friend invited you today because like, hey, it's Project Sunday. I'm saying that people love you so much, that Jesus loves you so much that he would have you sitting in this room today to hear the, the message of the gospel. Another thing we're going to do, once we've surrendered our life to Jesus, another way that we're in line with that mission is that we join the mission of Jesus. That as a church, we learn to lead with love. And we, 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 we pray that the Lord would help us stop in our steps and see people where they're at and speak life into them and stay in the midst of their mess with them. That we're going to start choosing invitations over information. That this week you're going to take every one of these invites and just beg people to come join you. All right, hey, come join me at, at this Christmas Eve service. And if you really love them, take them to Waffle House afterwards and just bless them, right? We're going to start inviting people. That I'm going I'm to invite you to begin to invite your neighbors to come. You know, some of those fertile times to, for people to come to church is Christmas Eve and the beginning of a year. And you have the opportunity to invite people to Christmas Eve and invite them to the beginning of the year. we got San Pablo and Bay Meadows are going to be growing in January. And you have an opportunity to invite. And just remember, 47% of people you invite are going to go, yeah, I'll check it out. You're only going to get turned down once every other time. That's amazing. That's incredible statistics. I don't want us to walk out of here without at least wrestling with the fact that for those, there is a possibility that some of us are not in line with the mission of Jesus. Like some of us, we, we've met Jesus, and we've actually found ourselves in the way of his mission. Jesus, when he's talking to the religious crowd in Matthew 23, says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, the religious leaders, religious people. For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who, who would enter to go in. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, hey, religious people, sometimes you're in the way. Like sometimes the biggest obstacle for the loved ones in our life meeting Jesus is us. Sometimes the biggest obstacle for the people that live next to us in our neighborhoods, that work next to us in cubicles, that, that go to our the schools, our, our kids go to school at, sometimes the biggest obstacle is us. That instead of inviting people to experience and meet and get to know the love of Jesus, we're actually just shutting the door in their face by ignoring them. And so I don't want us to walk out of here without us having the opportunity as a church 
to reflect on, on the gospel and respond to it. That in reality, some of us need to repent. Some of us need to repent that we have just, we've been the obstacle. I need to. Like, I'm leading us here. I'm leading us going, I, I have been the obstacle because I've just ignored people. So here's what, I, here's what I want us to do. I want every one of us just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to eliminate, eliminate distractions. I want you to wrestle with these, these questions with the Lord. For some of you right now, you just need to begin to repent. And in just a second, when we, we begin to respond, you need to come to the altar and come to the prayer rails, and you just need to repent. You need to repent that you have been the obstacle, that you have been in the way, that you've stood and just ignored people. And you didn't even realize it. And the beautiful part about the gospel is not a message of condemnation, but a message of conviction. This is if you've been walking in the wrong direction, repentance is simply this. God, I'm sorry. And help me to run after what you've called me to do. Some of you, this message is really just affirming. Like you, you are all about leading with love. And you, you bring seven people a week to church. And you share, you share your faith so much that people, some of them even just avoid you because they know it's coming because you've you got to talk about it. And, and I, I'm just begging you to be affirmed today. And maybe for you in our response, you need to come and pray for that person that you've been sharing the gospel with that maybe you've even begun to doubt it's possible. Beg the Lord. His, his arms are not too short to save. Some of us in this room, I'm going to ask you to respond and you, to, to, to surrender your life to Jesus. That in this room right now, you, you realize that you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You've got religious pedigree. You've got great work. You've got great jobs. You've been doing a lot of great things, and yet you're still longing for something. And right now, if that's you, if you're ready right now in this room to surrender your life to Jesus, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand. Just to raise your hand, just as a declaration that says, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. And as you raise your hand, I see you. I see men and women around this room going, I surrender my life to Jesus. I admit I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. I just want you to tell him that, that Jesus, I, I joyfully receive you as my Lord and Savior. And what you're telling him right now is, I surrender and I accept your salvation. Amen. Amen. Church, would you do this? Would you stand to your feet? Would you stand with me? And I'm going to pray for us. And when I get done praying, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to the gospel. That some of you, you need to come and you need to repent because you, you honestly have been the obstacle for people. You're going to repent. And some of us need to come and pray for for Zacchaeus is in our life, for men and women in our life, that we know God's compelling us to step into their world and love them with the gospel. That some of, many of us will stand and sing and, and just proclaim the goodness of Jesus, that he led with love and came for us. As always, uh, you, we bring our tithes and offerings, and there's giving boxes all around the room. There's an opportunity to come pray. We'll, we even have a prayer team that will come and lay hands and pray on you. So I'm going to pray for us, and I just want to invite you to wrestle and respond to what the Lord's calling you to do. Jesus, we love you. And thank you so much that you love us. God, as we respond, as we worship, as we um, lean into your presence, God, would you convict us that we can repent? Would you affirm us so that we can continue to lean on you? Would you call us to surrender every part of who we are to you? God, may we be a church that is all about knocking down obstacles so that more can come to know you. And we pray all this in your precious and your holy name. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.